It's time for Truth Unfiltered with Pastor Chad Harvey. Godly women should never be afraid of godly men. When Peter says they are the weaker vessel, he's saying, fellas, you keep that strength under control. And I want this church to be a safe place for women. That's Chad Harvey. And welcome to today's broadcast of Truth Unfiltered. We're glad you're here. Pastor Chad is the teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, leading you to a deeper understanding of the Bible by putting the scriptures in context, emphasizing how God's Word applies to our daily lives. We invite you to join us and allow the Holy Spirit to bring truth unfiltered to you. And now, here's Pastor Chad. There are several caricatures, and I see these caricatures in every church I've ever pastored, including this one. He said, first of all, you have Macho Mike. That's not masculinity. Then he says there's successful steward. He says masculinity means success. Successful steward has a great job, great car, great salary, great wife, great kids, lives in a great location, and that's masculinity. That's not masculinity. And then he says, there's bossy Bob. I've seen that in churches. He's used to bossing people around. His employees can't stand him. And when bossy Bob gets home, he thinks it's his job to boss the wife and kids around and they can't stand him as well. And then bossy Bob comes to church and he says, I want to be in charge of something. And bossy Bob doesn't accept correction. You rebuke him and he leaves the church because he wants to be in authority, but not under authority. And he says, well, I just can't find a good church in Raleigh, which means I can't find a pastor dumb enough to do what I tell him to do. And eventually he runs out of churches and starts his own home church is what Bossy Bob does. That's not masculinity. Some think biblical masculinity is what Mark Driscoll calls hyper-spiritual Henry. Hyper-spiritual Henry thinks biblical masculinity means wearing a Christian t-shirt all the time, putting Christian bumper stickers on your car, using Jesus talk all the time, not connecting with people, but just all the time overloading Jesus, 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 Jesus to the point that the kids are tired of hearing about it. And when the kids, uh, when he asks the kids, why don't you ever have friends over to the house? Because they say, well, all you want to do is argue about Canaanites and circumcision. Why should we bring them over to the house? And so that's not biblical masculinity. So when I say biblical masculinity. Let me give you a glimpse into this. This is not um, comprehensive. I'm just going to give you a peek into what we mean by biblical masculinity. I could probably give you 20 or 30 traits. Let me just give you a few today. Turn to 1 Peter 3, 7. 1 Peter 3, 7. As you're turning to 1 Peter 3, 7, Peter is not writing hypothetically. He's writing from experience. Do you know Peter was married. He had a wife. You know, we, we have a hard time thinking about the apostles having wives, but Paul uh, alludes to that in 1 Corinthians. He said, yes, yeah, some of the apostles actually have wives. And in fact, we know that Peter had a wife because I think it's in the Gospel of Mark. It says, have you read this before, that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. And now we know why Peter denied Jesus. All right, and so, um, <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. All right. All right, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So right now, Peter gives us just a glimpse into biblical masculinity. And he says this, Husbands likewise dwell with them. 
Dwell with your wives with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together by the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. It's kind of interesting as well. Peter evidently had a wonderful relationship with his wife. Clement of Alexandria, this is not in the Bible, but there's a, a legend, I think it's from Clement of Alexandria. You know, tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. In fact, if you go to the Vatican today in uh, St. Peter's Square where that obelisk is, is where Peter, we believe, was crucified. But before Peter was crucified, tradition says his wife was tortured and crucified right before him. And as she was dying on the cross, it is said that Peter stood at the foot of her cross as an old man looking up at his old wife that he'd spent many years with saying, remember the Lord, remember the Lord, remember Jesus. And so Peter knows what it means to raise a godly family and have a godly wife. And I just want to take this verse seven apart for just a few moments. First of all, Peter says this, husbands, do you see that? When, when, when Peter says husbands, he's making a, in today's terms, a political statement. He's saying gender is binary. There are husbands and there's wives. There's males and there are females. I don't know about you, I'm ready for the month of June to be over with. Because I can't even watch ESPN without a human interest story about a, an Olympic athlete whose gender fluid husband overcame workplace harassment and started a nonprofit to fight homophobia. And I'm like, I'm done with it. And so Peter's saying, let me cut through all this kind of stuff. Listen, there are husbands and their wives, there are men and their women. And then he says this, look at this. Dwell with them, jot this down, jot this down. Live with them. Biblically masculine men stay with their wives. They don't tuck tail and run when things get tough. Don't call yourself a man. And for God's sake, don't call yourself a man of God. If you're gonna leave your wife when a newer model comes along, somebody prettier or whatever, don't say you're a man of God if you're the kind of man that leaves at the drop of a hat. Biblical men stay with their wives. Fellas, I don't know what's going on. I mean, look, I can't change what's going on out there in the world. I can't do that, but I can pastor this church. And some of y'all are like bucks during rut season. Your nose is in the air, sniffing all over the place. You're about to get hit by a spiritual Mack truck. I'm just telling you, there's something about godly men that say, I don't care if she retains her looks or loses her looks. I don't care how much money I make. I don't care what kind of promotion I get. That is the wife of my youth and I'm gonna stay with her. And you know, Jesus says the same thing. You know, Jesus is the ultimate model of the masculine male. And Jesus says in Hebrews 13, five, hey, he says to us, I'm never gonna leave y'all and I'm never gonna forsake you. So if you're gonna be a man that follows Jesus who said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you, you ought to be able to say with absolute integrity to your family, I'm never gonna leave you guys and I'm never gonna forsake you guys. That's a real man. In fact, I was reading this past week about um, a Civil War battle. It's the Battle of Mobile Bay. And uh, the Union General, Admiral David Farragut, was looking at Mobile Bay and he knew that he was going to have to take his ship through the gauntlet. There are mines in the water. There are cannons that are going to be shooting at him. He knows this is going to get really rough. It's kind of interesting. Tradition says that before Admiral Farragut took his ship through that gauntlet with all the Confederates firing at him, he said to his men, tie me to the mast of this ship. 
I want all the men to see that I am tied to the mast of this ship and I don't care how hot it gets, how heavy it gets, what comes against us, I ain't leaving this ship. And if this ship goes down, I'm going down to the ship. I need the Holy Spirit of the living God to start tying men to the mast of the ships of their family and say, I don't care how hot it gets, heavy it gets, or what comes at us, family, I ain't leaving you. I'm going to stay right here. Live with him. And then secondly, godly men live with their wives with understanding. Do you see that there in verse seven? Jot this down. Listen to them. Live with them and listen to them. Literally, in in the Greek, it says, live with them according to knowledge. In other words, become a student of your wife. She's different than you. And that's good. She's wired differently than you. That's good. Understand your wives. Fellas, y'all do understand our wives are differently, right? It took me a few years. I mean, look, shopping is one of those things as well. I, when, when, I've heard this before. Uh, when it comes to shopping, women are grazers. They will graze from this store to that store, buy something here, go back to that store to get a price reduction. They graze from all store to store. That's how women shop. Women are grazers, men are hunters. We walk in, we see what we want, we shoot it, we bag it, we take it home, okay? <laughs> We are different. And so Peter says, look, I want you to live with your wives according to knowledge. But you're never going to know your wife until you sit down and listen to her. And I really mean listen to her. Have you ever, have you talked to somebody before and while you're talking to them, they're going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know they're not listening to you. They're just waiting for you to be quiet so they can say what they want to say. And Peter says, no, no, listen to your wife understand your wife the average couple today spends about 37 minutes in conversation in a given week how do you build a kind of relationship where you know your spouse with 37 minutes of conversation through the week there's something powerful about listening i'm gonna tell you something fellas i'm gonna give you some the counselors in right here okay can i tell you something's gonna revolutionize your marriage you go home today to your wife and you say to your wife Let's just talk. What's going on in your life? I want to hear about what's going on in your life. And she's going to say, what? And you say, no, no, I want to hear what's going on in your life. Just, just talk to me. What's, what's going on? And um, when she wakes up in the oxygen tent at Wake Med, she's going to be thanking God for the kind of husband that just sits and listens to her. And uh, one of the most powerful examples of this, y'all know who Jonathan Edwards was, the great revival leader. Uh, he's responsible for the first great awakening. Some people have said that Jonathan Edwards probably was the most brilliant man America ever produced. This is in the 1700s. He became the first president of, was it Yale, I think? Yale or Harvard. Uh, and um, Jonathan Edwards pastored a church, and it was through him that the great awakening started. And so he became a celebrity. And Jonathan Edwards was married to a, a godly woman named Sarah Edwards. Everybody who wrote about Sarah Edwards talked about what a beautiful, godly, gracious woman she was. Um, she's raising her children. She's in a pastor's home with all the challenges that go along with, with raising a family in a church life. Her husband is now a celebrity. He's on the road quite a bit preaching. Um, her sister had just died. And it's like all at once, all these things came at her and she pretty much had a breakdown. When winter hit, she went into a, a depression punctuated by what she called, quote, seasons of giddiness. She was probably manic depressive. She began to pass out. Well, her husband, Jonathan, is, is on the preaching circuit. He's about 70 miles away, and word got to him. They said, Jonathan, you, you gotta get back home. So he goes back home to see what's happening to his wife. 
And she had had that breakdown. She's depressed. Nothing is, is bringing her out of it. And so this is in the 17, 1700s, before the advent of modern counseling, he acted like a counselor. Here's what her husband did. He sat her down at the table and he made her slowly go over all of the events that had contributed to her breakdown and he asked her to describe her feelings surrounding those events. And in fact, he even took notes while she's talking to make sure he understand exactly what she's saying. And that simple act of a husband sitting down and saying, talk to me, honey, what's going on? How do you feel? And taking notes and taking interest within a few days, within a few weeks, she had come out of that depression, never to go back again. There was something powerful about a man of God just listening to his wife. So Peter says, again, this is not comprehensive, but if you want to be a man of God, live with them. You stay there. You listen to them. You learn what's going on in the life of your wife. And then number three, look at this. Giving honor, giving honor. Here's what I, I put beside that. You lift them up. You don't put them down. Peter says to the men at cross assembly and to Christian men for the last 2,000 years, fellas, your job is to honor your wife. In Peter's day, that was a radical statement. Because let me read to you. This is from the daily liturgy of, uh, of the Jewish men. They had a, a prayer, uh, had a prayer that they would pray in their daily liturgy, okay? Ladies, don't get mad at me. I'm just reading what I have written down here, okay? So every day, Jewish men in Peter's day would pray this. Oh God, I thank thee that I'm neither a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Wow. In the Roman history textbook, Carrie and Shulard said that Roman husbands could put their wives to death and sell their children to slavery and they were not breaking the law. They were just items. And then Christianity comes along and says, no, 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 fellas, they may do that out in the world, but y'all don't do that. Fellas, y'all honor your wives. Hey, people say Christianity subjugates women. Christianity liberated women in a world and in a society that pushed them down. Peter comes along and says, no, you lift them up. You honor your wives. And in fact, Ladies, some of y'all are looking for a good husband, okay? Y'all have come to cross assembly because you're trying to find a good, good looking, rich, godly husband. <laughs> and I'm sorry, this is about as best as I can do right here, ladies, all right? But <laughs> ladies, if you want to know if your husband is going to honor you, I, look, this, this is foolproof. Look and see how that potential mate, that potential husband, look and see how he treats two people. Number one, look and see how he treats waitresses. It's just weird. Men who treat waitresses like a dog, they're going to treat you like a dog when you marry them. And then secondly, look and see how they treat their mamas. Now you say, no, no, no. He treats his mom bad, but I'll change him. You ain't going to change him. If he treats his mom bad, he's going to treat you bad as well. And so Peter said, hey, I want you to be the kind of men that honor women. Fellas, how do we honor our wives? Let me just give you a couple practical things. How do you honor your wives and lift them up like Peter says? Number one, I'm going to give you an old-fashioned word. Y'all remember this word, chivalry? Y'all remember that word? C-H-I-V-A-L-R-Y, chivalry? You know what that means? It means those simple acts of honor that men do, like opening a door for the woman. It's the simple act of like going to the passenger side and open the door for the lady before uh, you open your door. That's chivalry. And I don't, look, I don't, I've got an obsession with this. I don't understand this. But I, uh, I can't stand when I go to the gas station. In fact, I saw this a couple weeks ago. 
when I go to the gas station, I saw this girl. It's rain. In fact, I think it's rain. It's raining, and this young girl is out in the rain pumping gas while her boyfriend is sitting in that passenger seat on his, on his smartphone. I wanted so badly to go up and say, sweetheart, let me give you a piece of advice. Leave his sorry tail, and you don't need to be with that guy. Peter says, no, let the world do that. Me and y'all are different. Y'all honor the women through chivalry. Let me give you a second way to honor your, your wives. You, you do that by verbally honoring her, especially in front of the kids. Don't ever tear down their mom in front of them. The identity, the self-concept of a child is wrapped up in the parent. And when you tear down the parent in front of the child, you just tear torn down that child as well. And well, we just do a little of sarcasm. We just do some cutting remarks. Listen to this. Big resentments grow out of small hurts. And uh, another way that, that we do this is by um, providing. Ladies, you, you need to understand, some, some of the love language of your husband is when they work hard and they try to provide for you, that's their way of honoring you. And ladies, at least acknowledge that, okay? All right, so y'all with me? What do godly men do with women? We live with them, we listen to them, we lift them up, and then jot this down. You see number four, as to the weaker vessel, do you see that? Jot this down. That means we lead our wives. Christian men lead their wives. As to the weaker vessel. Now, Peter is talking about physical strength. He's saying physically men are stronger than women. I know you don't like it. I get it. But listen to me. It's very clear that men are physically stronger than women. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about, you know, we're mentally stronger or we're emotionally, that's not what he's talking about. He says, look, you treat them as a weaker vessel, implication they are physically strong, they're weaker. Now look, some of y'all say, well, I know Ronda Rousey, the MMA fighter, she could beat up half the men in this church. Okay, I got it, but you understand there's a range here. Men typically are on the stronger end of the range. Women are typically a little on the weaker, and I know there's an overlap. There's some super, some really strong ladies that could take on some of the weaker guys in this church, but generally speaking, Peter's saying, men are stronger than women. And when, um, when he says men treat them as the weaker vessel, there are two things implied in this. Two things implied. Number one, women should never feel threatened by godly men. Fellas, your wives should never be afraid that you are gonna physically hurt them. Godly women should never be afraid of godly men. When Peter says they are the weaker vessel, he's saying, fellas, you keep that strength under control. And I want this church to be a safe place for women. I don't know why it is, maybe it's because we're right down from the strip club or something, but sometimes we'll get some creepy men in here and they'll start kind of making some ladies feel uncomfortable and they'll say some things that whatever. Listen, I have a rule here. If I wouldn't let you say it to my wife or my daughter, you can't say it to any other lady here in this church, okay? And um, I've, had to, I've had to kick people out of this church. I've had, to, I've had to kick leaders out of this church because they made women feel uncomfortable. And Peter's saying, godly men never make women feel threatened or uncomfortable. That's implied in this thing of the weaker vessel. Second thing that is implied in that is this. Men, you are to lead. And again, our culture doesn't like that. <laughs> I don't know if our denomination likes that. I know Christian authors don't like that. I know it's not popular 
Fellas, y'all, look, everybody, y'all need to understand, I'm not a mean guy. I'm actually a warm little teddy bear on the inside. I'm a crying child on the inside. And listen, you need to understand, I'm just saying what the Bible says. And the Bible says that God has designated men to lead. And there are two arguments against that. One is culture. Well, Peter is just talking in a patriarchal culture. If Peter was alive today, he wouldn't say that men are supposed to lead. That's just his patriarchal culture. You can't blame this thing on culture. I mean, this teaching is all over the Bible. Places like Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and Titus 2 and Titus 5 and 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Timothy 2 says male leadership is rooted in God's order of creation. It's like the Bible's saying, don't play the culture game on it. This goes back to creation. Second argument against men leading in the family is this. Well, pastor, that's the result of the fall. Before Adam and Eve fell, there was no male leadership and, and ladies are to follow. We, we didn't have that. It's only after the fall that male headship comes into play and now we have been redeemed from the curse of the fall. So we need to go back to what it was before the fall and there are no gender roles. Do you understand the argument? I'm gonna tell you something. There was male leadership and male headship before the fall. In Genesis 2, Man was made before the woman. That's male headship. Woman was made as a helper for man. That's male headship. Woman was made from the man. That's male headship. Women, the woman was brought to the man. Male headship. The woman was named by the man. That's male headship. And you can fight me on this if you want. You can find a more enlightened pastor and an enlightened church if you want, but I'm just gonna tell you something. God has a divine order. Y'all listen to me. Is this microphone on? Okay, I'm either making people mad, bored, or something. God has a divine order. And when you start messing with that divine order, that's fine, but you're gonna reap the consequences. And our churches, and our families, and our nation, we are reaping the consequences of saying, men, you don't lead, sit down, shut up, it's the woman's time to lead. And Peter says, that's not how it happens in the kingdom of God. Fellas, God has designed you to be a caring, loving, tender, godly leader in your family. Now, Peter says one other thing that I think we gotta hit. It's pretty astounding. He says, hey, do this that your prayers may not be hindered. Here's what he's saying. Hey, fellas, if you're a born-again believer in a Christian family, that lady that you're married to, That's a daughter of God. That's a princess of the most high God. Don't think that you can abuse one of God's daughters and then go to the father and ask him to answer your prayer. It doesn't work that way. He's saying for some of you guys, maybe one of the reasons why you're not seeing supernatural answer to your prayer is because of the way you're treating your wife. And you want to make me mad and every good man in here mad. You can pummel my sons all you want. They can take care of themselves. But you mess with my daughter, I get angry. And God is saying through Peter, that lady that you're married to, that's my daughter. And when you don't treat her right, your prayers are hindered. That's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. All right, so let me just kind of encapsulate all this. When I talk about, okay, let's review. Why do I want us to to be a church where men feel welcome? Well, number one is because fellas, y'all are spiritual influencers. And number two, there's a breakdown in our society and the problem is laid at the feet of the men. I think if we're gonna change our culture, if we're gonna change what's going on and the trajectory of our nation, men have gotta rise up and be men again. And, and when I say biblically masculine, 
Let me just encapsulate it. It's this. A biblically masculine man, watch this, is tough and tender. That's biblical masculinity. Jesus is the epitome of that. He crushes the head of Satan at the cross. He fights the cosmic battle of all fights. He is bold. He is strong. And yet, he brings the children to him and he holds them and he blesses them. That's tough and that's tender. The Titanic is going down and these men can beat up the women and pull them out of the limited lifeboats and they can take their position. But you know what those men did? They gave up their seats on the lifeboat for the sake of those women. Tough and tender. One of my favorite stories from the Civil War is uh, there was a, um, a particular general before the war, General Winfield Scott, who's head of all the armies, said that this general, this young man, was the, most, the best looking man in the entire army. His wife became an invalid when he was very young and there's not one hint of impropriety. His wife is an invalid, he's good looking, he's going all over the country on assignment and he never cheats on her. And then the Civil War breaks out. And after the Civil War is over, this general becomes the president of a university. And a student was looking out his window one day and he said, I saw this general pushing his invalid wife across the campus. Here's what he said. He was almost feminine in his behavior toward her. He would kiss her, pull her hair back from her face, whisper. He didn't know anybody was watching. And he said, I watched this tender man. And then the thought hit me. This is the same man who just a few months before at the Battle of Cold Harbor stood in one place leading his soldiers while 2,000 men dropped dead around him. Tough and tender. And I think God is raising up tough and tender men in this church. And through that, we can change this city and maybe we can change this nation for Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for today's Truth Unfiltered broadcast. We invite you to join us again next time for more great teaching from Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor at Cross Assembly Church of Raleigh. I believe gathering together is an integral part of the life of a Christian. We're meant to live in community with others. What drew me to Cross Assembly is the community, the fellowship. I was eager to get that family feel and to have that moment of coming into church and just knowing these are my people, these are the people of God. And one way that I felt that across was through groups. Being able to come here and feeling like that group of people, they were my people, they were my family. Groups are important because it is a way to learn how to be the church and not just go to church. It's one of those things that definitely makes you feel a sense of belonging, understanding that you're not alone. One of the most impactful semesters we've had has been a semester where almost everyone in our group was going through big life changes. There was sickness, loss of job. As one person shared, we prayed. Then another person was encouraged and they shared and we prayed. Throughout that semester, we saw God move in amazing ways. We have this saying that friends become family. That's what we've experienced through gathering together. You're finding people who are serious about their faith, who want to grow deeper, who 
also are looking out for you like a church family supposed to look out for each other. My relationship with God has increased dramatically. Being connected to the group really allows people to challenge me. That general accountability for my prayer life and kind of checking that. My favorite aspect of groups is serving. Serving is really a chance to humble yourself. You're no longer focused inwardly. You're no longer focused on your life, your problems. You're focused on how can God use me to bless this other person. The more we can get together and align with the vision of building and sending out those spirit-filled agents, the more community will see the true love of Jesus. When you serve together with someone, it not only helps you to no longer be inward focused, but it can also strengthen a bond between the friend that you're serving with because both of you are humbling yourselves in order to help someone else. It can create memories that you'll never forget. If you are not in a group, I strongly encourage you to be a part of the family. You don't want to miss these opportunities to grow together, to gather together, to fellowship, and to serve one another. If you would like more information about Pastor Chad or Cross Assembly, visit crossassembly.org. Again, that's crossassembly.org. You're always welcome to visit us at any of our locations for Sunday morning services. You'll find locations and service times on our website. To support this ministry, text CROSS to 45777. That's CROSS to 45777. Join us again next time for more teaching with Pastor Chad Harvey, teaching pastor of Cross Assembly Church in Raleigh, and more of God's truth unfiltered.